choir and orchestra. Beautiful morning to worship and to sing our praises to the Lord. Gay and I had just moved to Waco, Texas for me to begin our, our studies, my studies in the religion department there and working on my doctoral degree. It was the fall of 1992, before you, Morgan. I'll be in trouble for that. So we were in the process of trying to discern and understand which church God would be calling us to, to serve and to be a part of. And I saw Beverly come in. Beverly and Joe, we were at Calvary Baptist. They were at Calvary Baptist in Waco. And, and Gay and I made our way there and began to uh, attend a couple times. And, and on one Sunday morning, they said, everyone come back tonight. We're having deacon ordination. And so we went back that night and were involved or, or there in the congregation for deacon ordination. And, and we were sitting there. We really didn't know very many people uh, that evening. So we were just kind of by ourselves observing. And about halfway through the, the speaking of the deacons or in, in introducing the deacons, we kind of clued in on something. You see, we'd always heard about those kinds of churches, but we'd never been a part of one. And it dawned on us that they were going to ordain one of the women of their church as a deacon we kind of looked at each other and said you know it's going to be okay we're going to get through this <laughs> a couple years later i remember listening to a pastor pastor at first baptist arlington at the time in in texas and he was simply asked the question why do you ordain women as deacons in your church. And he said, well, I, I didn't mean to respond flippantly, but all I said was, well, I figured if they had them in the New Testament churches, we could have them in ours. And I think that's an important thing for us to understand as we, we talk about Phoebe today. Because women in ministry and women serving in the church still in, in, in a lot of places, particularly in a lot of Baptist churches, it's still very controversial. And for many people, it is still a matter of fellowship. I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to that, that have visited our church and have enjoyed the fellowship, the life group, and, and the worship. And when they discover and when we share that we have women who serve as deacons and are ordained as deacons, that they politely dismiss themselves and say, we don't want to be a part of this church. So as we look back on history, one of the things we need to know is that women serving as deacons and as leaders in the church is not an invention by liberal 20th century theologians, but rather is a long-standing practice of the church even to the days of the New Testament, even in Baptist churches. And I'm not saying that Baptist churches go back to the New Testament, okay? That's another sermon altogether. The earliest Baptist churches in the 17th century in England had women deacons. Baptist churches in colonial America had women deacons. R.B.C. Howell, an influential Baptist leader, in 1846, that's one year after the Southern Baptist Convention was formed in 1845, in 1846, R.B.C. Howell wrote in his book called The Deaconship, 
He wrote, I think it will be difficult for us to resist the conclusion that the Word of God authorizes and in the same sense, certainly by implication, enjoins the appointment of deaconesses in the churches of Christ. B.H. Carroll, the founder of Southwestern Seminary and pastor of First Baptist Church of Waco, in 1877, as pastor at First Baptist, their church set aside six deaconesses for service at their church. Yet the truth is, and the reality is, is that within a generation of these pastors and influencers in the late 19th century, Baptist life began to change, and it began to change in ways against women serving as deacon and in key leaders in Baptist churches. So that in 1984, this resolution was passed that said, we encourage the service of women in all aspects of church life and work other than except pastoral functions and leadership roles that entail ordination. I remember a conversation that I had with a denominational leader and his simple response was, well, we know women do the work of deacons in the churches, but we just don't call them that. That was my thought as well. In response to the, the different things going on in the life of our churches and denomination in the, in the mid-80s, churches like First Baptist Waco, as Gay and I had the chance to go on staff at First Baptist Waco while we were there, had that conversation about women stepping into roles of leaderships as deacons. And in that same time period, in the early 90s, First Baptist Church of Norman had a similar conversation. And in the early 90s, ordained its first three women to serve as deacons. I saw, I saw Mitty today. Mitty Durham was one of those first women that was ordained to serve as a deacon here at First Baptist Church. Began to serve as women had, I believe, in the past. And so I want to introduce us today, if you've never met her before, a woman named Phoebe. If you turn with me to Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Romans 16, verses 1 and 2. And while you're, you're turning that way, as Carol came and shared part of her testimony as a, as a deacon here at First Baptist, I'm reminding you that during this month of May, that this is the season that we are uh, nominating those that we would uh, consider as deacons. And so that's your responsibility as part of the congregation here at First Baptist, is to help us to identify who God might be calling out to serve in this unique and special role in the life of our church. And we'll receive those nominations through the end of May. And please, you can email those in to, uh, to the office, to myself. There's uh, nomination forms that you'll find throughout the church that you can fill out as well. Uh, Romans 16, verses 1 through 2. I commend to you, and Paul, is this is the, his conclusion of his letter to the church at Rome. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Sincrea, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, and that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. So here we are in these first two verses of chapter 16 as Paul is concluding his letter to the church at Rome, uh, commending Phoebe. Now, now what's going on here is that Phoebe is most likely the person who has carried the church. She has delivered the letter to the church at Rome. 
And one of the ways that, uh, that the, the deliverer, that people were uh, recommended or commended during that day, were authenticated and verified that this person is who they say they are, it was through a similar type of greeting or reference that would take place within the letter. So here, it's obvious that Paul is giving us the credentials of Phoebe and how she has been a faithful servant within the life of the church. She's bringing you this letter. Now receive her with the honor that she deserves and also come alongside of her and help her in whatever ways that she would. Now, there are those that would suggest that, that Phoebe had also come on Paul's sending to the church at Rome in order to, to embark and to, to do some different kind of ministry. And so let's take a minute to, to meet Phoebe. First of all, she's described as a sister, a sister in Christ, one who has received Christ Jesus as Lord and therefore has also, and Paul spent some time in the book of Romans talking about spiritual gifts, but also one who has then been filled with the Spirit of God, gifted by the Spirit of God to use those gifts in service and ministry within the life of the church, just like you and just like me. As a sister in Christ, she would be one who had committed her life to follow after Christ. She is also called here a servant. But I'm sure most of you would understand at this point that that word servant, and there's several different words for the word servant that can be used in the New Testament scriptures. But in this particular instance, Phoebe is described not as a servant, but as a deacon. That is the word that is used and translated as servant. So Phoebe, a deacon in the church at Sincrea. Now, Sincrea was a, a, an important port town right, off, uh, right near the city of Corinth. In fact, they were, they, were, they were very close to each other. There was a lot of uh, connection and interactivity between the cities, obviously being a port city. There had been lots of activity there. And so Phoebe was a deacon at the church at Sincrea. And so she may not have been known very well to the church at Rome, and so therefore she was sent with this commendation and with this letter that addressed her, first of all, as a key sister and also as a deacon or servant in the life of the church at Sincrea. And then lastly, this word helper is better translated and defined or, or, or understood as the word uh, patroness. She's a, a, a patroness. It means there in that, that key port city that her, her family, that she was a person of, of leadership, she was a person of means, and that she had been one who had supported with her life, with her ministry, with her resources, the church at Sincrea. She was a patroness, more than just the idea of a helper, certainly a helper, but I think this word patroness gives us a little bit more idea of the depth and of the significance of Phoebe's ministry and work within the church at Sincrea. At so here she is de de, uh, described as a sister, as a deacon, and as a, a patroness, as a helper. And as I said, as we look at this passage, she is to be received in a manner worthy of the saint. She's to be received with honor because she's a sister and a servant, a deacon in the church at Sancria. And she's also one that, uh, that you need to help, you need to come alongside of and stand beside as she is, uh, continues to help and be a helper. You need to help her as she has been a helper to the church. And so here we're introduced to this, this woman named Phoebe, a servant, a deacon, a sister in the church at Sancria. Come to the church at Rome to serve and to help and to minister. 
as well. Now let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul continues to, to write and to instruct Timothy uh, on uh, life within the church. Uh, in this particular chapter, in chapter 3, uh, Paul is instructing Timothy on, on the key leadership within the church, the, the overseers, or maybe as we would call them, the elders of the church, the, the deacons of the church. And so we want to pick up uh, about halfway through this chapter in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And these men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and of their own household. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I'll never forget as I was having a, a chat, as I was having a conversation with one of our deacons at a church we served together at, and we talked about deacons, and this was a church that had male deacons, and, and I suspect they'll never have female deacons, but uh, for a matter of conversation, I just brought up the point. Wow, look, there's women could serve as deacons. And one of the deacons responded in a way that I thought was, was significant and important, and I don't know that he really understood what he was asking, but he said, you mean to tell me <laughs> that my mother's Bible's wrong? I thought, well, I don't know what your mother's Bible says. I'm not saying it's wrong, but, but I'm saying, what about the possibility of women serving as deacons in the church? And of course, this was the passage that he was talking about. So I want to take just a few moments um, to look at maybe a little more in depth at the, at the structure and the way this is written and how we can understand it. I think uh, what Paul was trying to communicate in this particular letter because this is one of the key places in scripture that she used to say women are not to serve as deacons and what I would like to say is that it's really a strong place in scripture where you can say women should be serving as deacons within the life of the church so again let's look at this um, at this passage very briefly first of all I, I want us to understand that uh, that verses 8 through 13 are what I would call a, a chiastic structure now, there are those that spend their lives doing literary criticism of the New Testament. And what, what literary critics will tell you that in this particular letter of Paul, Paul uses a very similar uh, structure for chapter 2 that he uses for chapter 3. And we're not going to talk about chapter, th chapter 2 today. Uh, that creates a whole other uh, conversation for us. But uh, in ch even in chapter 2, there's a chiastic structure that's an ABA structure that we have here in chapter 3. So again, it's not some liberal theologians trying to read into Scripture. It's trying to understand what the Scriptures say to us. So let's look at this, what I call this chiastic structure. If you remember, a, a chiasm is a literary device in which a sequence of ideas is presented and then it is repeated in reverse order. Here's an example of a chiastic, uh, chiastic saying. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. This is a particularly an ABBA structure. When the going gets tough, the tough, there's B, 
get going. And so that's a chiastic structure. And that's what has been suggested and, and understood by many theologians that would read through this passage here in, in verses 8 through 11. So again, saying that verses 8 through 10 are, are A, they're the first part of this structure. And then the second part, the B part, is verse 11. And then verse 12 comes to complete the structure as the, the, the second A part of the construction. So let's again, let's look at this a little closely. In, in chapter 3, we see that Paul is talking about overseers or elders, and he's talking about deacons. Now there's a key, there's a key transition device that's used here in verse 8. It says, deacons likewise. So we're talking about elders in the church and, and, uh, and different qualifications for the elders in the church. And then Paul inserts this transitional phrase, likewise. So deacons likewise must be men. The, 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 the descriptors there are masculine. So must be men of, uh, of dignity. So we would go on and, and he continues to talk about men. And then he gets to verse 11 and uses the word women. Now it's interesting in the, in the structure that deacons, in the, in the original language, here's the order of the words. In verse 8, deacons, likewise, dignity. When you get to the, the verse, chapter 11, or verse 11, it simply says, likewise, women, dignity. Some of the older translations, and some of your, your older translations may say this, may, may translate verse 11 this way, even so must their wives... The New King James, I'm sorry, the NIV in 1984 translation says this, in the same way their wives are to be women. Now we need to understand that the word that's used there for wives is, a, is an overarching word there that can be translated as wives, but, is, most, but is, is often translated simply as women. So again, we have to understand what's the context in which we're understanding women serving in the church. Is this the wives of deacons? Or is this women who serve as deacons? It's interesting that if you have a newer edition of the NIV, that it simply says, women likewise. And then there's a note at the bottom, there's a footnote that will follow that, that says that, that women can either be wives, their wives or women deacons. Now, another thing that's interesting about the older translations, the King James, for example, saying, even so must their wives, the word there is not in the original manuscript they've had to add the word there in order for it to make sense so even in the niv 84 uh, translation in the same way their wives are to be women the word why the the first there and art the second are to be women are added to the text so that it can be uh, can be understood so the way that the, the the what i'm suggesting or helping us to understand is that in this structure it simply says deacons Likewise, tying us back, I believe, to the elders, deacons likewise must be dignified. And then you have the next transition, likewise, I think pulling us back up to this idea of deacons, women dignified. And so as we go on and as we read, it's interesting, verses um, 8, 9, and 10 that describe men deacons, and verse 11 that describes women deacons, the descriptors are very similar. So men deacons are to have these characteristics, Likewise, women who are deacons need to have these characteristics. So first of all, to be men and women of dignity. The second qualification of deacons. Go ahead, Phil, and flip that. 
are to be, our, our men are to not be double-tongued. Women are not to be uh, malicious gossip. So again, how we speak, our deacons are to be known by their words in which they speak, uh, being words of, of grace, of dignity, words that build up. The third qualification in this passage is that men are not to be addicted to, want, to much wine or fond of sordid gain. The, the third qualification for women there is that women are to be temperate. I think both of these descriptors deal with the idea of temperance. Of, of in, in, uh, in, certainly when it comes to alcohol, certainly when it comes to the way you conduct your business. That you're not to be fond of sordid gain, but that you're to, to, to work within the structures of, of society and of law and to be, uh, to be businessmen and, and, and businesswomen of integrity and dignity. The fourth qualification of dignity has to do with faith. That men holding to the mystery of the faith, women who are faithful in all things. So you can see here there's four qualifications here, here for men. And historically, for those that would have a bias against women serving in, in the office of deacon, they would translate that passage, wives of deacon. But you can see that there's, there's some things that you have to adjust in, this, in the text to do that. Whereas the other is it just stands on its own, women of dignity, and it goes on to describe them. So I think that even here you can make the, the, the argument that deacons as men and women are to be worthy of respect, they're to be controlled in their speech, they're to be temperate, and they're to be, they're to be faithful. And then to finish the chiasm, we go back to verse 12, which goes back to ref reflecting, referring on, on women deacons, I mean on men deacons, that these men deacons are to be husbands of one wife, they're to be good managers of, of, of their children, of their household, and this goes back to what is called in the New Testament the household code, in which... Uh, is reflected in Ephesians. I believe Colossians has another passage on, on the household code. And it's interesting, in the household co code, you have husbands, you have wives, you have uh, their children, and then you have the servants of the household. So here in this, this, this concluding passage, or, or chiastic structure here, for, for men, it reflects back on being husbands of one wife and good managers of children and of your household. And again, that becomes one of the major arguments that some people would say, well, women can't be deacons because they can't be the husband of one wife. And so if you, if you understand this chiastic structure, again, which is used in other places, even in this letter, then it allows you to understand this, uh, uh, this idea that, that men and women can serve in the life of the church in leadership. But I want to step back and, and kind of complete a thought uh, as we, we finish our time together today. I want us to, to consider the idea of a chiasm for men and women. And I want us to step back as maybe a, a, a meta-narrative, a, a story of the entire Scripture, and to try to understand the entire Scripture in the idea of creation, fall, new creation. First of all, we go back to the creation story of Genesis chapter 1 and, and Genesis chapter 2. The Scripture is clear that in the beginning God created man and woman in the image of God, that our maleness and our femaleness are part of the image of God that God has created each one of us with. We are created um, as, as, a, as a, a creation of God, created in His image, both men and women, created in the image of God. And so that's important. Then as we go to Genesis chapter 2, we see that, the, that woman is created as a helper to man. Now, as we understand this word helper, sometimes that word helper can be understood as a subordinate. I think that we need to understand that whatever we would say in, a, in kind of a small helper kind of way, 
that we also need to realize that the Psalms is full of this powerful and beautiful description that God, the Lord, is my helper. The Lord is our helper. And so whatever we would say about a, a small capital helper, H capital helper, in some ways we need to be to able to identify in this helper grand scheme of how God is our helper as well. So I think as we see in creation, we see this beautiful picture of men and women being created in the image of God as a helper, woman as a helper to man in the same ideas and kind of concepts that we would say as God is our helper, coming along, the woman coming along side by side as we walk through life together. Of course, then if we want to go talk about the fall, what happened during the fall? What was it that took place in the fall when, when Adam and Eve sinned and were removed from the Garden of Eden? We look at verse uh, chapter 3, and we see this, this idea. Let me, let me turn there, because we may want to reflect on that. Look at verse 16, Genesis 3, 16. This is the, uh, the shall we say, the consequence of the sin of the fall. And there's a consequence section here for the serpent. There's a consequence for the woman. There's a consequence for the man. And in verse 16, um, it says at the bottom of, uh, of, of, of verse 16, the last verse says, Yet your desire will be for your husband. Yet he will rule over you. So something is, something's changing here. Something as a result of the fall, of the curse, has changed in their relationship. And this word desire, I think, is a key word because desire is set in contrast to he will rule over. So now we want to look at, at chapter 4. And one of the only other places this word desire is used in, in the Old Testament is in verse 7. And it says, this is after, um, this is in the story of the Lord talking to Cain. Cain had killed, had killed Abel, and, and he says this to Abel. The Lord says to Cain, I'm sorry, in verse 7. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, here's, here's where we want to go. Sin is crouching at your door, and its desire is for you. But rather, you must master it. So we have the word desire in contrast to, to you controlling or you mastering it. So it seems to me what happens in the fall is that you create this ongoing battle for domination and for control between the male and the female. And the woman's desire, just like the sin's desire is to control you, the woman's desire is, is to control the male. And, and yet here the Lord says in, in the result of the fall, yet he will rule over you. And so this is the world that we have, the kingdom that we have that, that grows and develops until the time of Christ. And then at the point of Christ, we have in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, a new creation, Paul says. The old has passed away. And Jesus and Paul now say that the, the rule of the kingdom of God in this place is that we are to submit ourselves. We're to serve one another. Not fighting over who's in control of each other. Not fighting over who's in control of our marriages and having those powerful struggles. But rather, how can we submit and serve one another? That becomes the focus and model. How can we help each other? How can we come alongside of each other? How can we experience life that was the way it was intended even before the fall? So in this chiastic structure that I'm proposing for us is to understand this big picture of Scripture is that we have 
this beautiful picture of creation, and then we have the fall, and then we have this new creation in Christ Jesus that comes along that again shifts and changes everything to look more like the creation order than it does like the order after the fall. So therefore, in Galatians 3.28, Paul says this, there is neither male nor female. Paul's not doing away with the idea that we're created in the image of God as male and female. He's not doing away with that, but I think he's addressing this, this power structure. But now, there's, there's, there's neither male nor female for now. We are one in Christ Jesus. And what does that mean? It means that we're committed to serving each other, submitting ourselves to one another, loving each other. Guy Walter, Waters, a pastor and theologian who is very who would interpret some of these same scriptures and, and would argue that, that women should not serve as deacon in, in local church, even today. But listen to what he says as he prefaces his argument. He says, pastors and theologians who are fully committed to the authority and the inerrancy of scripture have disagreed about what the Bible teaches concerning women and the diaconate. And because of this, we are called for a particular humility with one another as we discuss and address this question. Some of you are, are familiar and aware of, of, of Beth Moore and her teaching, powerful teaching ministry and, and some of the conversations and, and some of the, that, those who've come against her in recent years and particularly over these last few weeks. But it's interesting, one of her comments that she said is, as she began to understand what was going on and began to, to seek God and to understand the, some of the criticism that was coming towards her, she said this in, in a statement. She said, I realized that it was not over Scripture at all, but rather it was over sin. It was over power. And that's what I'm suggesting. In, in the fall, the, the relationship between man and woman became a relationship of power and of struggle. And in the kingdom of God now, it's a relationship of how we can serve and help one another. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it fascinating that the way even that we read today, the Romans 16, 1 and 2 passages were translated is that Phoebe is a helper. So now you come alongside and help her. You see, as we interpret and understand Scripture, we must be willing to offer one another as much grace as possible as we seek to live out and practice our faith together. Yes, we can and we must humbly acknowledge that there are strong and differing interpretations on this matter even as we seek to be faithful to Scripture. But at some point, each church must decide. And in our Baptist faith, the autonomy of the local church invites each church to have these conversations. As a church, First Baptist Church of Norman since the early 90s, has determined that the testimony of Scripture strongly supports and even offers the example of women serving as deacons and in key positions in the early church and early in the forming of a people called Baptist. It's interesting if you go back to the Romans chapter 16 that not only does Paul commend Phoebe, but he commends Priscilla and Aquila, co-pastors of the church at Ephesus. He commends Junius, a woman who he calls an apostle. The apostles were, you know, then the twelve, the Peter, James, and John, and yet he calls Junius an apostle of Christ. And so even early on, we see women honored in leadership in the church. I believe 
that this transition, this shift in the new kingdom of doing away with the power battles between men and women is good news for the kingdom of God and for us and for this world. You see, through Christ Jesus, the curse has been lifted. As followers of Christ, we no longer must struggle for power and control of one another that leads to oppression, manipulation, and the domination of one sex over the other. You see, that dark kingdom has been defeated. And we have been liberated to live in families and marriages and communities and churches where men and women can walk together side by side, serving and submitting ourselves to each other instead of trying to rule over one another. As a church, it's critical that we model and live out our faith in this way. You see, the world is watching. Our community is watching. Other churches, including Baptist churches, are watching. So let us proclaim that there is a place for Phoebe at First Baptist Church, a deacon of the church, a sister who is a servant, a helper worthy of respect, worthy of honor as she helps and serves the church. Let's pray. God, we thank You for this powerful, powerful story of, of Scripture that we've looked at today. And Lord, we know that even historically there's been a lot of controversy and even today it's a, a matter of fellowship for so many people who would come to churches. And so Lord, we thank You that, that we have the opportunity here to model and to give witness and testimony of, of what it might look like within a, a church for, for men and women to come alongside of each other to love and to serve and to, to minister and work side by side. And Father, we pray that as we go through this deacon process, nomination process, that, that you would allow us to be sensitive to those men and women that, that you're stirring within the life of the church. You're, you're calling to serve as deacon. Father, again, we thank you for the scripture we've, we've gone through and studied today. And I pray that it would stir and stimulate us to think and to reflect. It would stir and stimulate us to love and to good deeds. This morning as we stand and sing, I would ask you to reflect in your own heart, in your own life, about your attitudes towards others, about the way you serve one another. And this morning as you would make your commitments to the Lord, I pray that you'd be obedient and faithful as we stand and as we sing. Let's do so for the Lord. Amen.